When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. to the hollow sky podcast i'm one half of your host steven and i'm kyle and tonight we got a bit of a doozy for you i think this episode is gonna leave people with a lot of nightmares because i think it's gonna get me yeah it's pretty wild uh we have another listener email we're gonna go through and a listener call-in we're going to play at the end of the show, so make sure you stick around for that. But first, got to get through the business. You can catch us on all the big social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Hollow Sky Podcast. We also set up a Facebook uh, fan page. You guys can get on there, talk to one another, throw out ideas and such. We have a YouTube channel as well. You can check out all our episodes on there if that's your chosen platform. You can go on there, search up the Hollow Sky Podcast, and you'll find us. We also have a phone number you guys can call in and leave us messages. It's one eight seven seven eight zero zero hollow H O L O or four six five six. And also, because of my darling smart little wife, she figured out you can uh, use the voice memo app on your smartphones, and you can record and edit if you want your uh, experiences, and then email them to us. And that email is hollowskypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and we tested it out, and we got all the way up to 30 minutes, and it emailed to our email without any issues. So if uh, calling in or emailing isn't your thing, you can definitely use your voice memo app to get yourself sounding how you want to sound. If you check us out through iTunes, make sure to jump on there and leave us a rating and review. Those help push us through the ranks of the podcast and make us more available to everybody. 
Um, those that have left us rating and reviews, we would like to shout you out. So these are the ones that gave us five-star reviews throughout the last episodes. To start out, we got Ghost Lyric. Then we have Beef Edge 666. Mama, Mama, Ma 89. Twiddlebug. The Haunted Ride Podcast. V Pants. Kristen Lee 83. Let's Get Weird. And we would, all, we would just like to reiterate and say thank you for With all that business out of the way. I'm going to bounce really right into it. another listener email that we received. This one's from Davin in Illinois. Hey, Stephen Kyle. I don't remember much because this happened to me when I was a kid, between like three to five years old. But there are a few things I've done that I don't recall ever doing. When I was younger, I used to sleepwalk. When I believe I was three, I walked into the living room after my mom put me to bed and sat on the couch. My mom could tell that I was sleepwalking because this was a common thing for me. Anyway, she told me I had to go back to bed. Apparently, I looked her dead in the eyes and told her that Zelma said she loves you and misses you. Zelma was my great-grandmother that passed away about a year or two before I was born, and I'd never ever met her, let alone known her name. After that, I walked back to my room and just laid in my bed. The next morning, my mom asked me if I knew who Zelma was, and I had no clue. She proceeded to tell me what I did and was shaken from those few words. Around four or five years old, I would predict little things here and there. She would always ask how I'd know certain things, but I would just say, I just know. One time I went to the front door around 3.55 p.m. after school. My mom asked me why I was staring at the door, and I told her that Grandpa was going to bring me some ice cream and he'd be here any time. He'd been a truck driver my whole life, and I hadn't spoke to him in a couple weeks. Not three minutes later, someone knocked on the door. When my mom opened the door, there was my grandpa with a pint of ice cream. She asked him if I, if he had told me that he was coming by, and he said that he was there for a surprise and he'd just gotten into town. Like I said, these weren't much, but they've always stuck with me after my mom told me these stories within the last few years. I know it's only a few episodes in, but I'm down with this podcast. I'm not one to believe much unless I see it, but these stories got me a little creeped and interested in the subject. Keep up the great work. Davin. P.S. Kyle, the story about the black dog. Was this an older house, and do you happen to remember if it was windy out that night? Right now, I'm living in an older house, and when it's windy, it sounds like someone is running across the roof with stuff banging on the roof. This sounds just like footsteps. Just asking my two cents on the subject. Hey, Davin. Thanks a lot for your submission. We really appreciate it. And to answer you about the the story of the dog, the house was built in the early 90s, I think, and it was a warm summer night, so there wasn't any wind out or anything of that nature to cause those um, sounds on the roof. But that is good thinking, and I really appreciate it. For anyone that has a question, feel free to ask. We'd like to keep the uh, correspondence up as, as much as we can. We're going to try to answer everything on air so everybody can hear. That way we can keep this show as listener-involved as possible. Back to your experiences, Davin. There is definitely a sense of mediumship there with you being able to communicate with your deceased grandmother and her being able to pass a message on to your mother that she's okay and everything will be fine. As far as being able to tell things from the future, that's clairvoyant precognition tendencies. Have these experiences happened since you were young? Or are they just solely like one-offs from when you were younger? Have uh, you been able to, I guess it's almost like a sense of deja vu where you think you've seen something happen before. Are these happening now and you're just writing them off as, as deja vu? Because you could still have these abilities that you're just writing off as you grow older. So if you can uh, think of anything that's happened currently 
or in the past few years, uh, feel free to hit us up and let us know. We'd be glad to talk about it again. And it'll be it'd be pretty cool to have that occur more often than just your typical random uh, deja vu that most people do experience at least once or twice in their life. Yeah, and if if this does happen more often now that you're thinking about it, Davin, don't don't write it off as just you know just deja vu because you it could be something deeper than that, which would be super cool. The subject we're going to bring to the Hollow Sky table today is alien abductions. But not your typical alien abductions. These ones involve, at times, graphic content or just people that never got brought back. So, yeah, a little trigger warning. Some of these cases do get exceptionally graphic. So if that kind of thing bugs you, you probably want to tune into a previous episode or later episode. We're going to look at about five cases where the victims involved were recovered, deceased, extremely mutilated, or never recovered at all. Uh, the first case I'm going to bring to the table today is Mr. Zygmunt Adamski. A little background. Zygmunt Jan Adamski was born in the middle of August 1923 and spent much of his life in his native Poland, marrying his longtime love Lottie in 1957. Three years later, the couple relocated to Tingley, a small town near Wakefield in Yorkshire, England. Over the course of the next 20 years, they established themselves as just another married couple that wouldn't stand out in a crowd if they tried. They were friendly and unassuming and by all accounts got along with most people. That's what makes what happened on June 6, 1980 all the more puzzling. At 3.30, Zygmunt set off on a short walk to the local shops in order to buy some groceries. It was just another day. Adamski offered a cordial and standard greeting to one of his neighbors before heading down the street. That was the last time he was ever seen alive. For a man like Adamski to go missing without notice for days was completely out of character. His goddaughter's wedding would take place the following day, five days after he vanished, and 20 miles away in the town of Todmorden, Adamski's family and friends' worst fear were realized when his body was discovered by Trevor Parker, son of the owner of Tolman's Coal Yard. Discovery of Adamski's body was made at 3.45 p.m. on the 11th of June, approximately five hours after the yard had last been used. Mr. Parker was on site from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. and didn't see anything suspicious. It was just after 4 p.m. when the first police response arrived on scene. P.C. Alan Godfrey, the attending officer, examined the body as best he could and determined the cause of death to be a heart attack. There were some questions that needed to be answered, however. If this was a straightforward case of heart attack, then why was the corpse positioned as it was, face down on top of a 12-foot pile of anthracite? It was speculated that Adamski's body was in all likelihood deposited there from above, as there were no evidence that anyone climbed up or down the pile. How could he be lowered from above without being seen in the middle of a hot summer day? When he was found, there were no signs that Adamski had been sleeping on the streets and he did not appear to have any medical conditions. He had not checked into a hospital during that time, and he had eaten well during his disappearance. No signs of a struggle were found at the scene. As smartly as he was dressed, Adamski's shirt was nowhere to be found. His watch and wallet had been removed. It looked as though another individual had attempted to put on Adamski's clothes and didn't do a very good job of it. His pants and shoes were both fastened crudely, as if done by someone who had very little idea of how to put pants and shoes on. His coat was also fastened up the wrong way. Despite being gone for five days, there was only a singles day of beard growth on Adamski. 
Most peculiar of all was strange burn marks found around his necks and neck and shoulders. All of these burns were covered in a gel-like substance that could not be identified. Dr. Alan Edwards, the consulting pathologist at the Royal Halifax Infirmary, conducted a post-mortem examination in Hebenbridge just after 9 p.m. the day Adamski was found. Dr. Edwards' professional judgment placed the time of death between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. on the day Adamski was found, while the burns were two days old. The exact cause of death was a matter of such deliberation that Adamski's death took coroner James Turnbull several months to register. It was ruled as a heart attack. Another odd piece of information was that several months after responding to the original report, PC Godfrey was required to pursue another bizarre report. Cows had been reported to be appearing and disappearing from a local council estate. It was 5 a.m., and while en route to investigate, PC Godfrey saw what he initially thought was an overturned bus on Burnley Road. As he drove closer, he could tell what he saw wasn't a bus at all. It was hovering five feet off the ground. PC Godfrey made numerous attempts to contact his station, all of which failed. Rather than venture out onto the street, the lone police officer decided to draw what he witnessed instead. He sketched a diamond-shaped object to block the entire road. Half an hour later, PC Godfrey found himself in his patrol car further along the same road. His boots had split along the soles, leading credence to him being dragged along the road against his will. When he drove back down the road, there was no sign of the object. The herd of cows were later discovered in a field behind a locked gate. The absence of hoof prints in the muddy field indicated that the cows did not enter through the gate. One week after PC Godfrey's encounter, the press somehow found out and all but ended his career in law enforcement. So that's my first case I'm bringing to the table today. What do you think, Kyle? How did uh, Zygmunt get on top of the coal pile? That's a good question. I, uh, I couldn't tell you, especially if there was no no drag marks or foot marks that led up the coal pile. The, only, the best thing I could think of, other than aliens, is was there anything above the coal pile that he could have been thrown off of, thrown off of onto the pile? Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, I started a new job, which is in the same uh, industry, and usually where there's a coal pile, there's probably a conveyor belt or a dump, so someone could possibly get above to drop down. Right. That's what I was thinking. Uh, but other weird aspects, um, the burn marks, man, that's weird. Yeah, the burn marks are really strange. And then the um, the substance that they found on them that couldn't be identified. Yeah, you would you would think this case isn't all that old. They would be able to identify most burn. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stuff you put on burns to heal them, like a aloe. Yeah, aloe. And but the, weren't the burns like super bad and were they were they perfectly circle in this case? I don't know. There wasn't any okay. real speculation in this case per right. se. The fact that his clothes were put on wrong. Yeah, that's strange too. Which is weird, but I don't know. We both have kids. We've tried to dress them. If there was any kind of struggle, they could easily get screwed up. Yeah, but wasn't his clothes put on like backwards? I don't I don't know. It didn't necessarily say backwards, just that they were put on by someone or something that didn't know how to put clothes on. Okay. His uh, shirt was missing, wallet missing, keys missing. His coat was buttoned up wrong. So it looked like he got robbed. Yeah. Another little aspect that I should add into this case is that apparently he, 
Zygmunt was in the middle of a family feud with a member who was having serious marital trouble. The family member's wife had taken out a restraining order on him, and she subsequently moved in with Zygmunt and his wife. Members of the family believe that Adamski may have been abducted by the man and held in a barn somewhere, and during that time, Adamski had experienced the heart attack. So, if that's the case, this dude kidnapped Adamski. He's a thinker. Kept him alive. Adamski has a heart attack and dies. So this guy says, hey, I live in this UFO hotspot. How about I fake this death to make it look like an alien murder? That'll work. Yep. And then on top of that, I'm going to burn him. Yeah, because that's what aliens do. And then I'll have the responding officer get abducted too. (laughs) Yeah, which is a whole other aspect of the case is the fact that the officer goes to investigate something else, sees something in the road, and then next thing he knows, he wakes up in his squad car and it looks like something has drug him for miles because his boots are all torn up. Yeah, and he was out to check on some cows that keep showing up and disappearing and showing up other places and disappearing. If this was a murder setup, this dude is the best. Yeah. The best. Talk about thinking way outside the box. Yeah, and the cow there's not even any footprints in the fields where the cows are found. Like he would have to physically lift up the cows and put them in the fence. Which is impossible. Impossible. Unless so, he's the best. So what's your vote, Kyle? I vote aliens. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think? What do you think it is? I'm torn. Because, yeah, I feel like as far as his body is concerned and being recovered, like, that could possibly be human interference. You know, it's it's likely, or not likely, but it's possible that the, say the guy did kidnap him and he did have a heart attack. He drug him up a conveyor belt and just dropped him on top of the coal pile. That's possible. But there was no mention of a conveyor belt or anything in the area. Also true. We don't have actual information that there was a conveyor belt. So basically it says aliens. Yeah, probably aliens. But the the responding officer's experience, that, you can't explain that. No. So I'm going to give... A half a point to alien abduction. Well, I'll take it. All right. Because that's, I mean, it's bizarre. But not out of the, you know, out of the realm of possibility of human intervention. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, let's give it half a point for aliens on my end. All right. And for our next story here, I'm going to cover the uh, disappearance of Frederick Valentich. A little bit about him, he was an Australian pilot who disappeared while on a 125-mile training flight in a Cessna 182L light aircraft over Bass Strait on the evening of Saturday, 21st, October 1978. Described as a flying saucer enthusiast, 20-year-old Valentich informed Melbourne Air Traffic Control he was being accompanied by an aircraft about 1,000 feet above him that his engine had begun running roughly before finally reporting it's not an aircraft. There were belated reports of a UFO sighting in Australia on the night of the disappearance. 
However, the Associated Press reported that the Department of Transport was skeptical a UFO was behind Valentich's disappearance and that some of their officials speculated that Valentich became disoriented and saw his own lights reflected in the water or lights from a nearby island while flying upside down. Valentech radioed Melbourne Air Traffic Control at 7.06 p.m. to report an unidentified aircraft was following him at 4,500 feet and was told there were no known traffic at, the, at that level. Valentech said he could see a large unknown aircraft which appeared to be illuminated by four bright landing lights. He was unable to confirm its type but said it had passed about a thousand feet overhead and was moving at a high speed. Valentix then reported that the aircraft was approaching him from the east and said the other pilot might be purposely toying with him. He said the aircraft was orbiting above him and that it had a shiny metal surface and a green light on it. He also reported that he was experiencing engine problems. Asked to identify the aircraft, Valentix radioed, it isn't an aircraft. His transmission was then interrupted by unidentified noise described as being metallic scraping sounds before all contact was lost. A Department of Transport investigation into Valentich's disappearance was unable to determine the cause, but that it was presumed fatal for Valentich. Five years after his aircraft went missing, an engine cow flap was found washed ashore on Flinders Island in July 1983. The Bureau of Air Safety Investigation asked the Royal Australian Navy Research Laboratory about the likelihood that the cow flap might have traveled to its ultimate position from the region where the aircraft disappeared. The Bureau noted that the part has been identified as having come from a Cessna 182 aircraft between a certain range of serial numbers, which included Valentich's aircraft. Now there are proposed explanations. It has been proposed that Valentich staged his own disappearance, even taking into account a trip of between 30 and 45 minutes to Cape Otway. The single-engine Cessna 182 still had enough fuel to fly 800 kilometers. Despite ideal conditions, at no time was the aircraft plotted on radar, casting doubts as to whether it was ever near Cape Otway. Melbourne police received reports of a light aircraft making a mysterious landing not far from Cape Otway at the same time as Valentich's disappearance. Another proposed explanation is that Valentich became disoriented and was flying upside down. What he thought he saw, if this were the case, would be his own aircraft's lights reflected in the water. He would then have crashed into the water. Yet another proposed possibility is suicide. However, interviews with doctors and colleagues who knew him virtually eliminated this possibility. A lot of people may think suicide and stuff like that because he had 150 total hours flying time and held a class 4 instrument rating, which authorized him to fly at night. He had a, twice applied to enlist in the Royal Australian Air Force, but was rejected because of an inadequate educational qualifications. He was a member of the Air Training Corps determined to have a career in aviation. Valentech was studying part-time to become a commercial pilot, but had a poor achievement record, having twice failed all five commercial license examination subjects, and as recently as the previous month had failed three more commercial license subjects. He had been involved in flying incidents, for example, straying into a controlled zone in Sydney, for which he received a warning, and twice deliberately 
flying into a cloud for which prosecution was being considered. According to his father, Balintek was a huge believer in UFOs and had been worried about being attacked by them. There was a 2013 review of the radio transcripts and other data by a retired U.S. Air Force pilot, James McGaugh, and author Joe Nickel proposes that the inexperienced Valentex was deceived by the illusion of a tilted horizon for which he attempted to compensate and, ad- and inadvertently put his aircraft into a downward so-called graveyard sp- spiral, which he initially mistook for simple orbiting of the aircraft. According to the authors, the G-forces of a tightening spiral would decrease fuel flow, resulting in the rough idling reported by Valentech. They also propose that the apparently stationary overhead lights that Valentech reported were probably the planets Venus, Mars, and Mercury, along with the bright star Antares, which would have behaved in a way consistent with Valentech's description. UFOologists have speculated that extraterrestrials either destroyed Valentech's aircraft or abducted him, asserting that some individuals reporting seeing an erratically moving green light in the sky and that he was in a steep dive at the time. UFOologists believe these accounts are significant because of the green light mentioned in Valentech's radio transmissions. All right, we have a a copy of the uh, transcript that he left with traffic control the day he disappeared. Now, I'm going to try to read this as best I can, but it gets a little dicey. So, uh, here it goes. Melbourne, this is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000? No known traffic. I am, seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot affirm. It is four bright. It seems to me like landing lights. Melbourne, this is Delta Sierra Juliet. The aircraft has just passed over me at least a thousand feet above. Roger, and it it is a large aircraft, confirm. Unknown due to the speed it's traveling. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. Melbourne, it's approaching now from due east towards me. There's open microphone for two seconds. Delta Sierra Juliet. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at a time at speeds I could not identify. Roger, what is your actual level? My level is four and a half thousand. Four, five, zero, zero. Delta Sierra Juliet, and confirm, you cannot identify the aircraft. Affirmative. Delta Sierra Juliet, Roger, stand by. Melbourne, Delta Sierra Juliet, it's not an aircraft. It is open microphone for two seconds. Melbourne, can you describe the aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape. It is before me right now, Melbourne. Roger, and how large would the object be? It seems like it's stationary. What I'm doing right now is orbiting, and the thing is just orbit, orbiting on top of me also. it's a, It's got a green light and sort of metallic-like. It's all shiny on the outside. It's just vanished. Melbourne, would you know what kind of aircraft I've got? Is it a type military aircraft? Confirm the aircraft just vanished. Say again? Is the aircraft still with you? It's uh, now approaching from the southwest. The engine is rough idling. I've got it set at 23-24, and the thing is... Roger, what are your intentions? My intentions are... 
to go to King's Island. Ah, uh, Melbourne, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It is hovering and it's not an aircraft. And then after that, there are about 17 seconds of open microphone. There's a very strange pulsed noise that is audible during this transmission. And that's the last we hear of him. So, Steve, with all that being said, what do you think's going on here? There is a lot of stuff that could possibly point that he may have done it on his own. Yeah. I'm going to go through and pick apart the supposed theories. I don't feel like it was suicide. There's just no no reason to believe that based on the evidence we've dug up. There's no threats of suicide that we've found. There's no depression, so to speak. I mean, I guess it could be bummed out that he kept failing all those tests but that leads me to my first thought I guess is that he just wasn't that great of a pilot and probably crashed that thing into the ocean it's possible it's very possible because I mean it's just time and time again that he's not passing he's doing dangerous stuff he he just he just doesn't seem like that experience of a pilot yeah. The one thing that throws me off, though, is the transcript. Because I also read that some people... Now, I haven't been able to find it yet, but I'm going to try. But some people have actually heard the transmissions between him and traffic control. And they said he sounded absolutely horrified while he's given all this information. Yeah, that hearing that would would probably sway me more toward alien abduction, which I mean, I'm not writing off because the transcript is, it's creepy to read. It reads like yeah. he is definitely seeing something. Right. And that's the way I feel. So. I, and I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about like going down in a downward spiral. If it, I mean, would it make you hallucinate? I don't know. I guess there could be a lack of oxygen and stuff like that, but not, not for long enough to where you would yeah. be able to communicate with your ground Tra- control yeah. for so long. Right. Yeah. I just, and the fact that they found that cap not so far off and it could possibly be granted. It's not completely identified to the specific plane he was flying, but it fell in the realm that it could be the plane he was flying. Right. So I'm going to give suicide zero points. I'm going to give the fact that he just up and flew away somewhere else zero points because that, again, also doesn't ring well with me. There was no evidence that he wanted to pack up and leave. There was no... just that's I feel like that's a theory people throw into missing persons cases all the time, you know? Right. They just want to pack up and start a new life somewhere. Yeah, you do hear that one pretty often. Uh, yeah, I'll give that zero points. Um, alien abduction. Based on the transcript, I want to give him a whole point. But the fact that he was such an avid UFO enthusiast makes me think that anything that could have gone wrong that day, he could have attributed to UFOs and aliens. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. So I'm going to give that... Uh, Three quarters of a point. Three quarters. Yeah. 
don't and know. I don't my know money, exactly where I stand. My money, I'm going to throw down on the fact that he was just not an experienced pilot, and the poor guy probably crashed his plane into the ocean. Yeah. And, I mean, the aviators that said, you know, maybe he got flipped upside down with seeing his reflection in the water, that, that almost holds more validity to me than him being chased by a UFO. Yeah. I want to believe it was a UFO, but once you got into him being a not good pilot, <laughs> it kind of started draining. Just, yeah, just started crumbling. Yeah. So my money's know. on. He's not a good pilot, and he probably crashed. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little bit torn. I kind of feel by the transcript that something little, a little more was going on. I don't know. I just the way he describes it, and then the fact that at the end of it you hear a strange noise doesn't help. You know, I mean, you'd think that if he crashed that audio would be on there. Yeah. Unless, You'd think. Unless they, cause they said it was tear. They heard tearing metal. Yeah. And in, in that, what you said, so that could be him smashing into the ocean right before it goes. That's true. Goes off. Um, another thing is that they said his plane wasn't tracked on radar. You yeah. Know, when they were talking about him just possibly flying away. So was there ever any indication did ground patrol ever catch anything else on the radar? You know, if something's chasing right. around him, it's probably going to show up. You would think so, but I don't know. I think I'm just, I'm just torn. I Where's your it. points? Like Kyle suicide. Oh, that's not, no. Uh, packed up and flew to New Zealand. Nope. Nope. Not a point there either. Alien abduction. <sighs> I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna give it a point. Crash into the ocean. I think I'll give that one a point too. Ooh, we got a tie. Yeah. Yeah. I. No, I'm. I'm retracting. I think I'm gonna go half point on the crashing in the ocean. All right. I, can I think I'm drawing that. our back. I'm. I'm going all in with the old. Uh, e. T. The old friendly grays. Yeah, we're, we're gonna see how friendly they are here in a second. <laughs> The next episode is going to hit kind of close to home for you, Kyle, being the industry you're in. kind of takes place in the same sort of areas that you're around all the time. The woods? Yeah, the woods. Also, it's uh, kind of closer in timeline. This took place in 2002. So I'll jump into it. 2002, 39-year-old Pennsylvanian hunter and outdoorsman Todd Sees wakes before dawn and decides to go deer spotting on Montour Ridge, a mountain range behind his home in Point Township, Northumberland County. He leaves home at 5 a.m. telling his wife he'll be back by noon. He drives his ATV up a tree break where power lines run. Sees the son of a farmer, a family man, little league coach, father of two. When he fails to return home by his appointed time, his wife grows concerns and calls the police. Shortly thereafter, sees son finds his father's four-wheeler abandoned at the top of the ridge two miles from their home. By 2.30 the following day, a large search team has been mobilized. They discover no footprints leading away from the ATV, no scent for their search dogs to track. Over 200 volunteers, rescue personnel, continue combing the area with dogs. Skin divers are called in to perform a search in a nearby pond, and others scour a six-mile radius for any sign of the man. Day one ends 
with C still missing. The search continues throughout the following day. Around 8 p.m. on the second evening, someone spots a patch of white in the woods near the pond, a mere 150 yards from the C's home. Local firemen work feverishly with saws and axes to cut a path through the heavy brush, and there in the dense bramble, they locate the dead body of Todd C's. Witnesses describe him as dressed only in his boxers, emaciated, and wearing an expression of abject terror. No one from the family is ever called in to identify the body, and contrary to Pennsylvania law, the body is removed without a coroner present. North Cumberland County Coroner James Kelly conducts an immediate autopsy, but his results are inconclusive. With no significant external or internal injuries, there is no clear cause of death. He eventually returns the body to the family in a sealed casket and strongly suggests they do not open it. Sees is buried sight unseen and his poor grieving family do the best they can do to pick up the pieces with much help and support from the local community. Toxology report released months later suggests cocaine toxicity as the possible cause of death, said local police close to the investigation. News coverage was surprisingly scant and that's basically the sum total of unassailable facts. The strange circumstances of the case, however, and their similarity to other rural events involving missing people, almost immediately attract the interest of the paranormal research community, particularly those in the UFO community. Despite an understandable stonewalling from local police to try to protect the C's family, Follow-up investigations by controversial ufologist Peter Davenport and former homicide detective Butch Watowski produced quite a bit of additional information, quote-unquote, all of it decidedly of the alleged variety. While there are no official verification of these details, they should be taken with a healthy grain of salt. That said, even if you disregard the UFO angle entirely, the case leaves behind a haunting impression of a man experiencing a harrowing final ordeal. Hey, Hollow Cult. The weather's getting nice, and you know what that means. It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tecovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dogman or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. That's why Tecovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots, and their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, regular leather boots. They they have it all, and it's it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. So just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin Hollow Sky branded boots. How awesome would that be? Nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold some of the interesting finding. One of Todd C.'s boots was found 75 feet up a tree. At 5.30 on the morning in question, three nearby farmers and a fisherman on the Susquehanna River witnessed a disc-shaped UFO over Montour Ridge. An anonymously filed, mistakenly dated report to this effect was submitted later in August 2002 to the National UFO Reporting Center. Additional reports provide even stranger details. Numerous accounts of the FBI descending quickly on the scene within 30 minutes, in some cases, and instructing locals and people not to talk to the press about the situation. So with the facts of the case being kind of muddied, there are a lot of theories that have been thrown around as to what happened to Todd C's. Uh, One of them is the cocaine overdose. I couldn't find anything that actually confirmed they found cocaine in his system. So it's kind of kind of one source of information said they did another source of information said they didn't so you have to take that with that's kind of weird yeah i also found a account that said he was killed by a rattlesnake bite said they found a dead rattlesnake near where his body was found which i mean could explain it i'm sure there's rattlesnakes and i think this took place in pennsylvania no because they found his boot all the way up in a tree. Yeah. I don't think a rattlesnake throws people's boots up in trees. And the fact that his body was found 150 yards from their house in an area where they'd searched, where they'd went through, they had, if they even, if they had sniffer dogs out there, why didn't they find his body? Right. Well, and the other thing, you know, I know you halfway tied it into my job, but when I'm out in the woods, there are certain things that I know to look for because I am out in the woods all the time. And there are a couple things in our area that I constantly look out for, especially during the summertime, and that's rattlesnakes and copperheads. So those are things that could kill me, but I'm always aware of them. You know what I mean? And if this guy is an avid outdoorsman, he's probably going to be looking for them too. Yeah, and the fact that there are other people coming forward saying that they saw strange lights in the sky about the same spot where they found him. Right. Further pushes towards UFO interference. Yeah, I'm just uh, still a little confused on the snake situation. You know, like I said, being an avid, avid outdoorsman, he would keep his eye on that. And even if he did get bit by that snake... If he was only 150 yards from his house, he should have been able to make it back home. 
Yeah, and I read reports that they found a dead snake next to him. The only thing I can think of is that his ATV was found two miles from his house. If he got bit by the snake there, killed the snake, and brought it with him to show, like, hey, this is the snake that bit me. Somebody help me. And he didn't quite make it home. Right, yeah. That still leaves a whole lot of things unanswered. Yeah, but I could bite on that. I mean, that makes sense. You know, that he, he got bit was trying to make it back home with the snake so he could get the proper antidote or the antivenom and, you know, didn't make it. Uh, New Fork National UFO Reporting Center did an investigation and they came up with a lot of resolved issues and questions about the case. So I'm going to read through those to uh, spark off any kind of... uh, thought process and questions that you the listeners could bring up maybe you could look into this case find some answers and let us know number one if the death of mr c's is being investigated as an unexplained death and not a homicide why are local authorities involved in the investigation refusing to comment on the case if the death in fact was a result of a snake bite a bee sting a diabetic coma exposure or drug overdose all of which have been proposed as the cause of death why are the police the coroner and the district attorney all refusing to comment on the case you would think that if he did get bit by a snake stung by a bee diabetic coma whatever it was the autopsy should have shown that and the police should have released a statement on that it should have been kind of cut and dry yeah you know why keep that information yeah at bay yeah if it was just a cut and dry case it would just there's no reason that they shouldn't have been like, oh, oh, hey, you know, this person had a diabetic coma. It is what it is, you know. Yeah, agreed. Question two. If the victim's remains were so badly disfigured that the family could not have an open casket funeral ceremony, why was no family member or representative of the family, family physician, summoned to establish positive identify, positive identification of the body? Also, under what authority did officials act in their apparently informing the family of the descendant that the casket containing his remains should not be opened before its burial. In addition, how could a body become so badly decayed or mutilated in 39 hours or less of exposure that it was unfit for viewing by the family or at a funeral? Talk about being floored. You know, you you can't even say your goodbyes. You know, no. it's got to be a closed casket. And once again, if it was any of the simple explanations no reason it should have been a closed casket i agree number three if indeed unconfirmed reports that special agents of the fbi or from another federal law enforcement agency were summoned to the site where the victim's remains were found why were they summoned and by whom what interest would federal authorities have in an alleged accidental or unexplained death if there were not extenuating circumstances Moreover, why would members of the Point Township Police Department refuse to comment on whether federal authorities had been involved in the investigation? See, I don't care what anybody says. When the feds get called in, to me, that says something serious is going on. Yeah, same. They don't They don't just get called in on... on a BSB sting. Yeah, or, or this dude got bit by a rattlesnake. We better call in Call the feds. The feds. Yeah. <laughs> They're writing it off as a cocaine overdose, but hey, we better get the big dogs in here. Yeah, just, I don't know, just like you've said before, they're grasping at straws here. 
Number four, if tracking dogs were used during the search of Mr. C's, it seems unusual to us that they would not be able to immediately track the path that the victim presumably took as he walked, perhaps barefoot, from his vehicle to the location where his remains ultimately were found by the searchers. Tracking dogs are very adept to follow scent, and it seems unusual that they could not locate remains that reportedly were badly decayed at the time the body was found not far from the victim's home. That's weird, too. That dogs couldn't fall, catch any scent at all. You know, the only thing that I could think of, and I I don't know a whole lot about scent dogs, but did it rain within the t- you know within this time period before the dogs got there? Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. In addition to these questions outlined above, we feel there are many specific questions surrounding the death of Mr. C's which have not yet been resolved by any follow-up investigation. For example, the apparent absence of any apparent cause of death seems unusual. Given that the, de- the decedent was seemingly quite healthy and a fit young man. In addition, it's unclear to us why an experienced outdoorsman, as Mr. C's apparently was, would abandon his vehicle, take off his clothes, take off his boots, walk an estimated two miles toward his home, leaving his vehicle in good working condition on top of a nearby mountain. There are many other aspects surrounding his death which seem unusual, but New Fork does not discuss at this time. So that is Mr. Todd C.'s disappearance, and I guess you can't say, well, we'll call it his death. I was going to say murder, but there's no proof. Right. So that's another bizarre one. Yep. What way are you leaning? It's hard for me to say because the investigation is so muddied. The information is so muddied. Yeah. I can't. I'm not even going to put points out on the table because it's such a disaster of an investigation. Yeah. Either it's the sloppiest investigation ever or it's the sloppiest cover-up ever. I don't know. When you when you lay a lot of those facts on the table, you know, the scent dogs can't catch a scent. Uh, the big one for me, they found one of his boots 70-plus feet up in a tree. Yeah, but they can't be confirmed. People are like, well, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, like with every other fact in this case. Yeah, that's true. But I was going to say, if, if they did find a boot, 70 plus feet up in the air there's no possible way he threw that thing up there no (laughs) 75 feet is a long throw and think how many times you have to throw it up there to get it to stick right you ever tried to just oh yeah i mean we got at work we have throw balls that we use to set ropes it's extremely hard to get up to 75 feet (laughs) (laughs) i can imagine and they're not even as you know the bag is not even as heavy as a boot so yeah it is it is definitely a weird one i'm i don't know I, there's still that gut in me that just wants to be like it's it's definitely not a normal situation. Yeah, the thing that throws me is the the farmers that saw the the unexplained lights in the sky. Yeah, and then the whole closed casket closed casket situation. Yeah, and the authorities being so I don't even know what the word is so shallow about the whole thing. I I suppose it's just. Uh, it's it doesn't help the case not at all before we get into our last two cases i just want to pop in and put a little disclaimer in the injuries to our next victims do get pretty graphic 
So if that kind of thing uh, bothers you, you can stop right here and scroll through these next two uh, cases because it does get pretty intense. All right, this next case that I'm going to talk to you about is the case of United States Air Force Sergeant Jonathan P. Lovett. It happened on March in 1956. The location was White Sands Missile Test Range, New Mexico. One of the earliest reports of human mutilations perpetrated by aliens is a case witnessed by Air Force personnel in which an Air Force Sergeant E-6 by the name of Jonathan P. Lovett was observed being taken captive aboard what appeared to be a UFO at the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. This abduction took place in March of 1956 at about 300 hours local and was witnessed by Major William Cunningham of the United States Air Force Missile Command near Holloman Air Force Base. Major Cunningham and Sergeant Lovett were out in a field downrange from the launch sites looking for debris from a missile test when Sergeant Lovett went over the ridge of a small sand dune and was out of sight for a time. Major Cunningham heard Sergeant Lovett scream in what was described as terror or agony. The Major, thinking Lovett had been bitten by a snake or something, ran over the crest of the dune and saw Sergeant Lovett being dragged into what appeared to be and was described as being a silvery disc-like object which hovered in the air approximately 15 to 20 feet. Major Cunningham described what appeared to be a long snake-like object was wrapped around the sergeant's legs and was dragging him to the craft. Major Cunningham admittedly froze as the sergeant was dragged inside the disc and observed the disc going up into the sky very quickly. Major Cunningham got on the jeep radio and reported the incident to missile control whereupon Missile Control confirmed a radar sighting. Search parties went into the desert looking for Sergeant Lovett. Major Cunningham's report was taken, and he was admitted to the White Sands Base Dispensary for observation. The search for Sergeant Lovett continued for three days, at the end of which his nude body was found approximately 10 miles downrange. The body had been mutilated. The tongue had been removed from the lower portion of the jaw. An incision had been made just under the tip of the chin, and extended all the way back to the esophagus and larynx. He had been emasculated, and his eyes had been removed. Also, his anus had been removed, and there were comments in the report on the apparent surgical skill of the removal of these items, including the genitalia. The report commented that the anus and the genitalia had been removed as though a plug, which in the case of the anus extended all the way to the colon, there, were, there was no sign of blood within the system. The initial autopsy report confirmed that the system had been completely drained of blood and that there was no vascular collapse due to death by bleeding. Subcomment was added that this was unusual because in anybody who dies of bleeding or in the case of a complete blood loss, there is always vascular collapse. Also noted that when the body was found, there were a number of dead predatory type birds within the area who apparently had died after trying to partake of the sergeant's body. There were a number of extremely grisly black and white photographs. From all indications, the body had been exposed to the elements for at least a day or two. The New Mexico sun in the desert is extremely hot and debilitating under normal circumstances. Major Cunningham was initially accused of murdering Sergeant Jonathan P. Lovett, 
Charges were later dropped. Now, with all that being said, where do we all stand on this one? Um, this one, uh, I'm probably going to go with aliens. I'm definitely going with aliens on this yeah. one. Yeah. Outside of the fact that the only witness we have is the only other person there, which, I mean, he could have killed this dude and bored out his anus and cut his eyes out. What are but, the odds that you're carrying all that equipment I'm, out of the desert? Yeah, I'm thinking that's probably not going to happen. Right. And the fact that he was later cleared of any charges also holds to his credibility. So I'm going to go money on the table. It's aliens. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, he... There's just too much going on in this one. You know, it, it sounds sketchy at first, you know, him saying that he sees a long snake-like object wrapped around the sergeant's legs and was dragging him to the craft. That kind of sounds sketchy. That sounds like out of a movie. But then they find his body later on, and then the predatory birds that partook on his body were also found dead, Yeah, that's which is extremely bizarre. weird. But, you know, the precision that they're talking about when they removed his anus and his genitalia, that's crazy. You're not going to do that. You're not, I at least I don't feel like, but I don't feel like you're going to be able to do that out in the field like that. You wouldn't think so. You know? And then, the blood loss situation. How none of his veins collapsed, collapsed at all. Yeah, that's bizarre. That's really bizarre. That's bizarre. So, I'm saying this is probably the best case so far that I feel like alien abduction and sure. the way that guy just the way the other man described him being abducted with like the appendage coming out and wrapping around his leg and dragging him into the ship yeah. that freaks me out well yeah and then then on top of that you know he admits that he froze whether it was by fear or something else but either way I could completely understand I mean I, I feel like I would just freeze and, and not know what to do what would you do? Yeah. And there's there's reports that they they caused that, you know. Yeah. They're responsible for paralyzation. Yeah. When those events occur. Yeah. So, I think hands down it's uh it's little green men in this case. Maybe they have a different agenda than we think. Hopefully it's only one set of them. Because I'm not trying to have any of that happen to me. So the final case we're going to look into is uh, pretty horrible, to be completely honest. And if it's to believe that it's UFO related, and I mean, we really have no reason not to believe this, then we're all going to have to reevaluate the tentative conclusions we have as to the intentions, moral perspectives, and general agenda that some of our extraterrestrial visitors may have coming to our planet. It's that bad. Well, that's a good footnote. It could be UFOlogy's worst nightmare, that they are not here to mess around. The case takes us to Brazil in 1988 at the Guaraparinga Reservoir, where a body was found that was in a very strange state. Although it was determined that the person had been dead for several days, there was no smell when it should have been redolent with the stench of decay, no noticeable decomposition, and there was no sign that the body had been fed upon by scavengers or even insects. Upon his body were found to be numerous smooth round holes. 
The man's lips, eyes, tongue, and ears had been cut away with expert precision, not torn or ragged in any way. Other tissue and organs had been removed as well, for reasons unknown, and there were other anomalies in addition to all of these. The coroner tasked with examining the body would later say of it, Although the victim had been dead for 48 to 72 hours, there was no signs of being eaten by animals or starting to rot, as would be expected. There was no smell. Bleeding from the wounds had been minimal. The lips and flesh from the face had been cut away. The eyes, ears, and tongue had been removed. Neat round holes, one to one and a half inch in diameter, had been made on the shoulders, arms, head, stomach, and anus, and tissue and muscle had been extracted. The holes had not been made through which extensive digestive organs had been extracted. The scrotum, but not the penis, had been removed, and all pubic hair had disappeared. The rectum had been cored out, the same as the last case we had talked about. Despite these devastating mutilations, there was no sign that the victim had been bound or had struggled in any way. The mysterious body was photographed and the pictures shown to a Dr. Goes Rubens, who concurred that it was all very odd indeed and seemed inexplicable by normal definition. It was also pointed out by an associate of Rubens that the mutilations on display with the mysterious body had many of the same hallmarks as more well-known cattle mutilations, such as the lack of decomposition, organs seemingly selectively removed, precision, almost surgical cuts, and anomalous holes bored into the corpse. It appears that the dead man was never identified, and his strange death has, from then on, held many questions surrounding it. Who or what did this to him? Why was there no decomposition? Why were there some organs missing and others not? Why had they been removed so cleanly and precisely? Why had the holes been made in the body? And why hadn't the victim struggled or show signs of being detained? What happened to him we will probably never know. The initial police investigative report was rather minimal in that there were no signs of a struggle, no typical violence had occurred on the scene, no ropes or weapons were involved. The autopsy report would reveal more about what happened than what the police could produce. The autopsy report states, and I quote, We observed the removal of the right and left orbital areas, emptying of the mouth cavity, pharynx, oropharynx, neck, right and left armpit area, abdomen, pelvic cavity, and right and left groin area. With this case, there are photographic evidence available, which we will not be posting out of the extreme graphic nature of the photographs and out of respect for the victim. But if you do a little digging, they're easy to find on the internet and they are graphic. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty horrible. That's not something you really want to see. I'll jump into some of the autopsy report just to kind of walk through it. Uh, the auxiliary regions on both sides show soft spots where organs had been removed. Incisions were made on the face, internal thorax, abdomen, legs, arms, and chest. Shoulders and arms have perforations of one to one and a half inches in diameter where tissues and muscles were extracted. The edge of the perforations were uniform and so was their size. The chest had shrunk due to removal of internal organs. The autopsy report continues. We observed the removal of the right and left orbital areas, meaning the eyes, emptying of the mouth cavity. Uh, precision cookie cutter holes were discovered in strategical positions throughout the body used for extracting internal organs. This level of 
precision suggests that the operation was executed with speed, the application of heat or lasers, and all occurring while the subject was still alive. Some internal findings of the autopsy examination include after opening the cranial cavity using the Griesinger technique, it was found an unimpaired skull cap and cerebral edema. In cases like this, the presence of cerebral edema without direct traumatic origin to the skull is a strong characteristic of an extremely agonizing death. Uh, his cause of death is acute hemorrhage and multiple traumatisms. There is a component of causa mortis by uh, vagus stimulation, implying cardiorespiratory arrest caused by extreme pain. The victim shows injuries with vital reaction characteristics. For example, there is a component, like a torture component. Uh, the suggestus mode operandi is incision in soft parts and natural orifices with sucking devices. In addition to the shocking photographs, the fact that the official autopsy report blatantly states that the victim was subject to incisions and usage of sucking devices elevates the case to levels beyond most disturbing monstrosities ever to happen to a human being. So that's that's the case. What do you think, Kyle? That's pretty horrifying. Intense. It's horrifying. That line where they said he was still alive when all this happened. That messes with me a little bit. Talk about heavy. So Man. what are our theories here? Could a human being do this? As far as the torture aspect, absolutely. Yeah. Humans are awful. This is true. They're, Unfortunately, it's true. They're terrible. Could someone do this with the precision? Also, probably. Yeah, but they also said that a lot of what was done was for speed, too. Yeah, and they talk about uses of using lasers and the fact that he was yeah. kept alive. And then this was set back in 88. Yeah, because I, th I think about the organ removal, I think of uh, Egyptian mummies, how they removed, you know, they with pretty much no incisions. Like, that could be done, but could it be done while keeping someone alive? Mm, yeah, but and then bringing it back to the whole laser aspect of it, or large amounts of heat. That's uh, in being in 1988. I mean, I don't think that we had lightsabers back then. That we knew of, anyway. Yeah, that's true. If you go down that avenue, you yeah, have true. a military that has a enormous budget. Yeah, which they could easily pull something like this off. But then it makes you ask, why? Like, what? What do they need the organs for? Yeah. Why, why would they even? do this why didn't they clean up their mess right and it flows back around to how similar it is to cattle mutilations no decomposition organ removal genital removal uh expert precision in all of the extractions i, I don't know this is another really bad this is the worst of the bunch for yeah. sure and to be honest with you, there's there's more cases like this out there than you you would imagine. Than you want to I mean, know. Yeah, you know, and some of them we plan on covering on later dates. But if it is aliens, then farm animals aren't the only thing they're taking in. Well, we might be a part of their farm animal list. So I'm going all in on 
on something not of this world. And it's bad to say because it makes you like, like I stated earlier, what, what are their intentions? Do they have a moral compass? Do they not give a crap and are just. Yeah. I don't think that whatever's doing this has zero moral compass. There's are, no possible way. Are we scientific experiments? Are we meat? What? Like, what is the deal? I I would think that, especially in this case, it would be the experiment aspect to it. You know, because if we were a food source, you would think they would take the whole thing. Which, oh man, to think about that being a food source is not fun. No, that, uh, say that. Just let that roll off your tongue. Yeah, that puts us a couple notches down on the food chain. Yeah. Find an enemy you don't know anything about. It's... I don't know this, and like we stated, the the pictures are extremely graphic. Yeah, if if it's, I don't recommend you look at them. But if you need to see what we're talking about, you can find them with an easy Google search. But just prepare yourself. It's it's rough. It's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. How many days did it take for there? Do they estimate that the body had been out? They said up to seventy two hours. So that's three days. And no decomposition, nope. no smell, nope. nothing. Nope. And if you look at the wounds, they do look like they were burnt around the outside. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like they took a giant laser and just just ran it right through him. Yep. It's it's or poured molten lava and just let it drip right there and go all the way through the body. Yep. And the organ extraction, it's all it's just it's bizarre, man. So we've walked you through these five cases of uh, alien abductions, the supposed alien abductions that didn't turn out so hot. So if you guys look into these and have any um, information or thoughts or theories you'd like to share with us, email us, call us, post it on one of our social media pages and let us know what you think about these cases. Or if you start digging into this stuff and you find other cases you want us to talk about, send them to us too. Yeah. We, want, we want to know what you guys are finding out here. The weirder, the better. Yeah, it's it was a heavy episode, so it was. It was going, kind of a a downer, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna cap it off with a lighter note. We have received our first call in, which is awesome. Sweet, so awesome. So we're going to play that for you. Here is John's story from Illinois. Hi, this is John from Jerseyville. Got a bit of a good story for you. I guess. Uh, I spent some hours younger. I used to live in my, when I was living with my parents. And the house they had, you know, built in the late 1800s. And there's an old family graveyard up on top of one of the hills. And we found some headstones that had been kind of plowed under, you know, whatnot. Put them on the porch. But, uh, so anyways, I was, oh, I don't know, probably eight years old or so, and I was laying in my bed one night, and I woke up out of nowhere. I was just wide awake, you know. I just had that weird feeling. So I was watching. Well, I looked over, and I seen a, a boy. He was probably somewhere around eight years old. So just know by the looks of him, wearing some old clothes, and he's just sitting there, just looking at me. You know, never said anything, never moved. We just, you know, locked eyes. I was, you know, froze. I was so scared. 
and uh, sit there and stare back and forth probably, you know, a minute. And, you know, being young like that, I got scared. And after he stared for a little while, I built up the nerve and pulled the covers over my head and just laid there the rest of the night, you know, until I see some sunlight. And, uh, you know, finally peeked my head out. And that was the first time anything ever happened. Well, second time, I woke up in the middle of the night again and went downstairs to get something to drink. Well, whenever I had got downstairs, I was sitting there and in the kitchen taking a drink. And I look over and I see this white outline of like a, a person. And as I look over, I see it, and it's probably there for two seconds. And it then just almost looked like it just ran through walls, disappeared real fast. And uh, it's the craziest thing. But uh, I've been listening to you guys' podcast. Felt like calling in, telling you my ghost stories. So uh, keep up the uh, hard work. I love you guys' show. It's great. Share it. Yeah. Hopefully. Hear some more stories soon. Uh, thank you. Bye. First off, thank you, John, for taking the leap and calling us in, being our inaugural caller, breaking that ice. Yes, so thank awesome. you very much. Uh, your ghost stories. Um, I'm going to be that guy and ask why you all decided to put the headstones on your front porch feel like that's kind of opening a door for weird stuff to start happening yeah and on that note did any of these things happen before you put the headstones on the front porch because if they didn't you know exactly why you started yeah. seeing stuff it's kind of opening that door um the little boy with the old clothes kind of goes hand in hand with the old cemetery with the old house um and the white the white apparitions bizarre too. Yeah, I mean, that could almost be anything though. That could have been something trying to manifest itself. Yeah. And then just kind of lost its juice. And with the little boy being from an, an older era, could be a residual haunting. He could just be stuck in that. Yeah. Loop. Did you see him often? Was there? Was this just a one and done kind of thing? Um, did anyone else in your family have any experiences with it being an old house? You know, is the house itself haunted? Um, what other? I still possibly feel like the headstones might play a pretty big part. Yeah. So if you hear this, John, let us know. Did these things happen after you brought the headstones to the front porch or were they happening before? Has anyone else in your family that grew up there experienced anything bizarre? Maybe ask around, ask your family and let us know. Let us know what you find out. Yeah, we'd appreciate I'm that. Definitely interested to see if. The headstone thing, I'm feeling probably linked <laughs> together, and I feel like yeah. John knows it because that's the first thing he said. Yep, yep. I think that has a lot to do with what was going on there, or is still going on there. Yeah, and and have these things continued to happen to you? Now that I'm assuming you're older, yeah, let us know. And it's so awesome that you took the time out of your day to call us in. And be the first caller. Break that ice. Yep. So awesome. We couldn't be happier. Yeah, I cannot thank you enough for making that move. And hopefully people follow suit. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now, it's super humbling. And the satisfaction of taking part in people 
commenting and actually there's you know lauren from the first one we've we've been talking to you know so that's been a pleasure in itself yeah we have had we have since we started this two weeks ago it'll be three four weeks whenever this drops yeah we've had such a positive response and positive interaction more than we could ever have imagined for the first month of this podcast being out we've had people emailing us and if you haven't heard your story we will get to your stories yeah we promise we're just trying to space them out so we yeah. have enough to make it through our episodes we yeah. will get there and we don't we be did, discouraged we did have a, a pretty big influx all at once and people just started dropping them on us left and right yeah it is awesome it is yeah. an awesome problem to have yeah. if you even consider it a problem yeah so keep those flowing in we we want to get more of your stories we yeah. want to be an outlet for you all to be able to get your stories out there yeah and also keep that in mind that you know one of the goals that we have is to start doing an entire listener submitted episode so just have an entire episode of all submissions of your experiences and then you know just kind of go back and forth with us dropping knowledge on you guys and you guys sharing your stories with us I think it'll help keep it fresh and interesting. Yeah, definitely. We are hoping to get there to where we can do entire listener episodes, like maybe once a month or once yeah. every two months, and just be an entire hour episode of just your guys's your guys' experience, your yeah. own experiences. Which would be super fun for us. Yeah, we love we love hearing your stories. Yes, yeah. it's awesome. And again, we thank you all for all the positive positivity given us it's, yeah it's been great it's definitely put a little pep in our step and so just, awesome yeah it's just made us feel good so we appreciate that with that we're going to wrap it up with the outro business so check us out on all of our social medias the facebook the twitter the instagram message us if you have anything you'd like to talk about yep go to the fan page on facebook a little talk, bit of tube you talk with the rest of everyone see what's going on uh if you have them creepy stories email us or call us in all that info's at the beginning of the episode yep so uh to all our hollow sky people out there let's get weird